For more than two years, Larry Morrow shared incredible conversations with broadcast legends from Cleveland and around the world with his radio audience on Salem Broadcasting. The radio program was called Larry Morrow's Take Two. So now it's time to take you back to those 30-minute shows as we do a podcast replay here on the Larry from the Heart podcast platform. Subscribe to this podcast and remember to share it with a friend. This is Larry Morrow's Take Two, the podcast. Enjoy. I'm Larry Morrow, and this is Take Two, the radio program that looks inside a person's adventure, not so much from the outside, but the inside out. In the next 30 minutes, you will discover the inward joy of their heart that married them to the passion of their life and the affirmation of ideals that directed their success. I am so blessed to have interviewed so many wonderful Hollywood celebrities from presidents of the United States to Kojak Pal, Telly Savalas, Barbara Walters, and most recently, Robert Davi. But my guest today is so much different than all of them in so many ways, and you are about to hear why. Today, I am so grateful to welcome popular actor, writer, and old pal, Joe Barbara. Hello, Joe. Hey, Larry, how are you? Thanks for having me. I wish you had a little enthusiasm in your voice, you know? <laughs> I'll work on that, Larry, I promise, I'll work on it. Joe, last time we were together, you were performing your iconic role as Sonny in the now-famous play of Bronx Tale, which had an extended stay in Cleveland, thank God, and then successfully you headlined the tour all over America, and which was co-directed by your pal, Robert De Niro. Let's talk about your relationship with him. How did it all start with him? Well, you know, I was living in I was living in Las Vegas and I was doing Jersey Boys in Las Vegas when I got the phone call uh, from the casting director. They wanted me to audition for A Bronx Tale. So, uh, you know, I was in Vegas, so they had me put myself on tape and do the audition on tape and send it in. And um, so I did that. I sent it. I hit send. And they said to me, um, you know, we'll be looking at this. We'll, we'll have we're back in like a half an hour. I said, oh, wow. I said, who's who's looking at the tape? Uh, and they said, well, Bob, of course. And uh, Jerry, I said, well, Bob's looking at the tape, um, like right now. And they said, yeah, yeah, he's he's opening it up right now. I'm like, wow. And at that moment, that's when I got nervous. Like, I wasn't nervous doing the audition. I wasn't really ever nervous afterwards once we started rehearsing. Um, and he was there. But, uh, but it was somehow after I had hit send and I knew that uh, De Niro was going to be looking at the audition you know, what was he going to say? Um, that was when I got nervous. Um, but thankfully, the casting director did sort of tip me off at the first day of rehearsal that um, she mentioned something that that led me to believe that Bob was really happy with the audition. So it really put me very much at ease from that point on. And a great story, actually. Um, when we first started rehearsing for the show for A Bronx Tale, the musical, I was not playing Sonny at the time. I was playing uh, Carmine. I was playing several other roles. And one of them, if you've ever seen the movie A Bronx Tale, you know the famous line, now you just can't leave. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and right after that, a, a big barroom brawl ensues. So I was playing the guy who got beat up in the big barroom brawl. And for some reason that day, we were rehearsing that scene and um, the fight director, the fight choreographer wasn't there. So Bob jumped in and normally he's pretty um, quiet, you know, soft spoken in rehearsals and kind of sits there and has some notes, maybe whispers them to somebody else. And but this day he just jumped in the middle of the of the room, 
grabbed me. So what if we did this and grabbed me and started punching the daylights out of me? <laughs> um, you know, stage combat wise, of course, uh, right there in the middle of everything. And I was like, what's happening? And all of a sudden he and I are playing this fight scene together. Um, totally unprepared for that moment, but, uh, it was really cool. And of course, you know, a couple other guys uh, off on the side, grabbed the camera. And so I actually have it on tape. Um, but it was really a great moment. And to sort of share the stage with him, um, one-on-one, uh, it, it really put my mind at ease for the rest of the run. No matter what I did, I felt like, you know, Bob's cool with me and I'm cool with him. And, um, and he respects me as an actor and, and, uh, Let's go, you know, and I, I really never had a problem or even a worry after that moment. So he showed you how to take a punch. He, he didn't explain what he was going to do. He literally walked in the room, walked up to me. And as he's walking up, he's like, you know, I don't know. What if we do? And that's all he said and grabbed my shirt and went, bam, bam. <laughs> and, and like gave me two solid punches to the face. When I say solid punches, you know, he missed my face, obviously, you know, it was stage mm-hmm. combat punches. But then I started taking them like he was beating me. And all of a sudden, we're in the middle of the scene. And then he's pulling me and grabbing my shirt. And then and then once I throw him down, and then I, I'll go down to the ground. And like, we're doing the scene. Um, but it was completely out of the blue. Like, nobody expected that to happen. Because up, up to that point, he was, you know, pretty much quiet sitting on the sidelines. Um, you, know, yeah. you know, it's interesting also. Nobody that I know calls him Bob. Oh, <laughs> hey, Bob, how you doing, man? Well, you know, that's, you know, in those situations, that's that is what he goes by, yeah. you know. Um, and he's been great with me. I have to be honest. I mean, uh, you know, I will I will email him and he emails back literally in five minutes. I mean, if, mm-hmm. he, if you don't get an email back in five minutes, something's wrong. He's he's very responsive and um, and was very, uh, very supportive uh, when I, when I started playing Sonny, um, he wanted to come back and see the show. He told me, he says, I, I want to come back and see you. And there were several times when I was playing Sonny and he was, a, he was uh, planning on coming back and he didn't get to, and he'd call me and say, Hey, look, I'm sorry. I can't make it tonight. Um, you know, very conscientious that way. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have nothing but good experiences, uh, with him. You know, Joe, in some way, our earlier lives parallel each other as kids growing up Catholic and mm-hmm. both being taught by the Sisters of Mercy, believe it or not. We, right. began, we began each day with an 8, 8, 8 a.m. mass, then our first class with religion. Your relationship with the nuns, did it impact your life in any way? Oh, my God, it still does. Yeah. It still does. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. My mom was the secretary. Um, I say secretary. She did. My mom did everything at my Catholic grade school except be the principal and and teach well she you know filled in once in a while when teachers were out but uh my mom was the secretary she was the whole administration she ran the school so the nuns were very close with my mom because she worked with them you know they were her peers in in the office so they'd come over the house and go swimming i mean they'd come over for thanksgiving and christmas and and any holidays and and we just became very very close personal friends with many of them so to this day in fact like two days ago i just called the woman the the Nun, Sister Anne Marie Wilson from Belmont, North Carolina, who is uh, was the principal of my school, Sacred Heart Catholic School in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, and I uh, just talked to her like a couple of days ago. She, when my mom passed away. Uh, she, um, she came. She drove down eleven hours <laughs> to be at the funeral, and uh, she wouldn't miss it. She was. She's been fantastic, and they've all been. Uh, one of the nuns taught me how to play the guitar. She and a priest taught me to 
how to play the guitar, which, you know, if that hadn't happened, who knows if I would even be in musicals. I mean, that mm-hmm. really expanded my world of music. So, yeah, they, they've been a tremendous influence. Well, they, they didn't influence you as much as they should have, because when I was in Catholic school, they influenced me so much. I went, away, I went on to be a priest. You, and you did not, right? Uh, I did not. I did not. I mean, that was, you know, that was some of the talk of, uh, you know, around the parish sometimes, but, but it didn't happen that way. Um, I did not realize that about you. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I actually, I went away to, uh, to be a priest and I stayed my eighth grade going into the ninth grade. I stayed there for, uh, the summer. And then at the end of uh, the summer, the, the bishop said, now Lawrence, what would you like to do? Would you like to go back to school or would you like to stay here? And he said, how do you feel about girls? And I said, well, you know, there's this eighth grade girl. She's a, a, a cheerleader. He said, I think you should go back. Wow, <laughs> and if really? you ever change your mind, he said, we will be here for you. So in a way, you know, I've always been in my heart. I've always been like a priest. Yeah. I've always felt that way. And I'm sure that you do as well. Very much so, my friend. Yeah, that, that was... Um... That was a lot of the talk, you know, around that, when I was around that age as well. Um, I just felt like I wanted to, you know, contribute to the world in some way. And uh, this is this is how it ended up. But, um, but yeah, that's really noble. And I, you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I, I think, I think today in today's world, especially, you know, with all of the, there's scandals and all that kind of thing. I, I feel badly that, um, in many situations, you know, some bad apples, and I won't even say a few because it's more than a few, but, but it's unfortunate that so many people get tarnished and get uh, sort of smeared with the same reputation because I had nothing but fantastic priests growing up, mm-hmm. uh, fantastic sisters, and um, I wouldn't want it any other way. And they shaped my life, and I, I couldn't be happier about that. You're listening to Larry Moore. I'll take two. And my special guest today is actor, writer, and everything in between, Joe Barbara. Joe, you went on to study film and TV production at Syracuse University, where your projects were often shown as examples to other students. Is that when you knew that that you had an acting and writing career? You know, like, honestly, my dad, it was a combination of things. It was Sister Mary Navard in third grade, who put me in the third grade play. And, and long story short, there was some candy that I was supposed to grab in the play. And mm-hmm. she forgot to take when we were doing the, the actual, you know, Christmas play performance, she forgot to take the cellophane wrap off. And I struggled and struggled and struggled with the candy dish. <laughs> and the more I struggled, the, the bigger the laugh grew in the audience, because they were just laughing at the situation. They knew what happened. And, uh, and the more the laugh grew, the more I realized, ah, <laughs> maybe I don't open this up so easily and we get a bigger <laughs> laugh. And so that moment, Combined with my dad always taking movies of everywhere we went, you know, taking home movies and taught me how to edit them, literally like film, you know, Super 8 film. Um, and then we had a teacher who made a film with us in school. And so all those things combined. And I knew that I was I knew that that was something, a way that I could um, maybe contribute, you know, and I actually saw a movie. I saw Yankee Doodle Dandy uh, when I was about 13 years old. And I remember thinking, you know, it was James Cagney about the life of George M. Cohen. And I remember thinking how impressive it was that this guy through his entertainment really had an effect on on the country and uh it kind of inspired me to put all those things together and say yeah maybe i can do this and and that happened at 13 years old (laughs) yeah i had that idea yeah that that totally was very clear to me that that's that's it like the light bulb went off (laughs) Yeah. yeah well then you went on to graduate from syracuse 
uh, and from its highly revered journalism department. And due to your inquisitive nature, didn't you actually ponder going to law school? I, not at that moment, but I did. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I did later on, a little bit, a few years later in life, um, because uh, well, I was I was doing I tried a couple of different things, Larry, and um, because I love music so much. When another, I did another world on NBC, which was a, a daytime serial soap opera mm-hmm. for about five years, and um, that was tremendously exciting. It changed my life. It opened up so many doors to me. Um, and when the show was canceled, as many soaps, you know, from that point on, uh, tended to, to, you know, that, that was their fate. Um, I went to Nashville and I was playing music for a little bit. And, uh, and so I was sort of free and sort of, you know, figuring things out. And, um, I thought, oh, I could go, I, it was a, it was a thought, but I, um, but, uh, Jersey boys called and said, come out to Vegas. And I put the thought away and that was that. (laughs) You know, what's so ironic is that um, as an adult, you were in the New York cast of The Wanderer. We just talked earlier that Dion just sent you his new CD. It's fantastic. I was yeah. just listening to it in the car literally right before I came in to talk to you. <laughs> well, and, well, The Wanderer, which is the life story of Dion and his uh, backup neighborhood group, The Belmonts. Talk about that experience. That had to be something. Oh, well, you know, I'll, here's a funny story. You ready? Mm-hmm. I was a huge Dion fan long before the show ever ever came into anybody's mind, I think. I mean, I was a huge Dion fan since I was a kid. Um, I didn't even know exactly who Dion was, but Run Around Sue was just a fantastic song. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wanderer was a fantastic song. When I was on a soap opera, I would do personal appearances. We would do charity benefits and, and all sorts of appearances um, around in and around New York, actually all over the country. And many times they'd say, hey, Joe, bring your guitar, sing a song. And I would sing Run Around Sue because it was just such a happy, crowd-pleasing song, you know, <laughs> um, never thinking about, uh, about doing a show like The Wanderer. But back up even before that, my very first job out of college, I was a production assistant at Entertainment Tonight, um, and which meant I, you know, carried the heavy things, the, the lights, the batteries, the cables, and I drove the van. I was the grunt, you know. and we actually had a night where we went to the Hard Rock Cafe the night before the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when Dion was inducted. Mm-hmm. And, and I got the notice that, you know, they, they would send out like a little schedule of the day's events. And that day they said, you know, tonight you're going to the Hard Rock. Dion is bringing his, his guitar and he's going to present it to them. I said, wait a minute. Tonight we're going to be with Dion? They said, yeah, but Joe, don't go crazy. Because they knew I was a big fan. I go, and they literally said to me, Joe please don't sing tonight. Please don't like embarrass us. You know, just, <laughs> just play it cool. And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. We get there. <laughs> and, and Dion, and now I'm 21. Right. Mm-hmm. And Dion presents his guitar to the hard rock and he picks up another one. And there's only like 10 of us, this little reporter, you know, gaggle standing, standing around and he picks up a guitar and he goes, I want you guys to help me out. And he hits a chord and he goes, Here's my story. It's sad, but true. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He just asked us to help him out. <laughs> and, and I'm singing, hey, hey, bum, ba, de, 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 de. I'm like, oh my God, I'm singing it. And I'm like, I'm like eight feet away from Dion and I'm singing this. And it was a moment that I will never forget. And you know, all these years go by and now I'm doing this with Dion and, uh, and there was actually a moment in rehearsal when I'm, we're playing the guitar together. We're playing Ruby Baby, and we're singing it. And I put it on Facebook, 
And the, the cameraman, who I never speak with, the cameraman from that night, who my friends with on Facebook, says, I remember this night at the Hard Rock when you were singing backups. And I'm like, oh, my God. It was just confirmation. Because sometimes, <laughs> you know, you, you remember those things so well. And then you think, God, did I dream that? Did that really happen that way? And, uh, and I got total confirmation. So doing The Wanderer with Dion is such a, an enormously full circle event. Um, it, it's, it's so exciting to me, and I'm so honored to be a part of it. And, uh, and he just has an amazing story. I mean, an amazing story. You know, just, just as you were mentioning, I'm going to see Dion tonight, as you said. Uh, I remember Avery calling me. Our, our good friend Avery Friedman called me one day, and he said, what are you doing tonight? I said, why? He says, Dion's in town, and we're going to have dinner with him. I said, we're going to have dinner with Dion? He said, yes. So now, as we're getting ready to walk in the restaurant, uh, Avery says, you know, Larry was on a number one hit record in in, uh, in New York at one time on the Dick Clark show called What in the World's Come Over You. Dion grabs me by the shoulder. He said, let me tell you something. He pulls out his phone and he pulls up a picture of he and Jack Scott that was taken the day before. And he said, I can't believe that I'm going to have dinner with a guy that sang bass with Jack Scott. What in the world's come over you? <laughs> wow. I mean, same kind of experience, Joe. Isn't that something? It's so, I mean, it's funny how Dion has that sort of, he permeates all, yeah. all, all genres and all age groups and, uh, and all circles. He's just there. Um, it's amazing. And I actually called him. Did you say you're going to see him tonight? No, no, no. That was oh, when neighbor called me. So we're going to um, see him tonight. It's funny because I was in the car. I just called him in the car. I left him a message. I left him a message as I was listening to his CD in the car. And I was like, I'm, I'm checking it out. Listen. And, and uh, I just literally left him a message like a half an hour ago. That's funny. You know what? When, when, you, when you call him again, tell him, tell him that we talked and, and ask him to do the baseline for what in the world's come over you. I'm going to go Google it before. I don't know that, that baseline. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go learn it. <laughs> Well, you mentioned just earlier that you've done it all. You know, you worked as a production assistant for Entertainment Tonight. You hosted the 25th annual Daytime Emmys with Lisa Gibbons. What was that like? Oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it was that, that was fantastic. Well, Lisa's wonderful, number one. She's fantastic. She's mm -hmm. just a great person and, and so good, so good at what she does. Um, but to be, you know, I mean, you know, Dick Clark produces it, so... Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're working with, with Dick and Lisa and what's better than that. And right. you, live radio city music hall, it's live TV. It's prime time. Um, you know, Regis is sitting in the front row, looking up at me on stage, you know, um, mm -hmm. Oprah is sitting there looking at, so it was cool that Barbara Walters, you know, um, so all of the daytime world is there and, um, and the game show world is there and, uh, the talk show world is there. Um, it was just exciting. It was a thrill. It was, it was and a highlight. Big know? break for you at that time with all those yeah. stars sitting in the front row. Yeah. You, you know, you've starred in the off-Broadway smash, Tony and Tina's Wedding, which was a big smash when it came to Cleveland. You were then uh, tapped by NBC to star in the daytime drama, Another World as Captain Joe Carlino, a role you turned into a cornerstone of the 35th annual series. Um, yeah. Then you went on to Broadway and played Danny Zuko in the hit revival of Greece. What was that like? It, wow. Um, that was a yeah. <laughs> dream. That was a dream fulfilled. Another really probably the biggest dream fulfilled um, because the truth was I, you know, growing up, I was a huge fan of happy days. I, I was a huge fan of Fonzie. I wanted to, you know, have my hair slicked back and wear a leather jacket and, 
And then Grease came out and I was like, oh, huge fan of, you know, that whole style of music, that whole genre, the whole deal. I, I just wished I was born back then and I could have been like, wait, one of the guys with the, with the leather jacket on. And, um, and when I heard that Grease was a musical, like I was a kid, you know, I, that it could be produced like, you know, in theater. I was like, we have to do this. And I begged our director in high school to do it. And he wouldn't do it. So long story short, it's a very long story, and I'll make it very short. But I tried to audition for that show over and over and over again, and I kept getting kicked out. Um, they told me I wasn't right for it. I didn't look right for it. I'm like, how can I not look right for it? I mean, <laughs> right? Um, and um, over and over again. And I tried, and I went to the casting director's office, and I broke all the rules, but I did it respectfully, you know? Um <clears throat> And it just wasn't working out. I wrote letters to Tommy Toon, everything. Um, and at one point, I did get a call back, but it was for a different role, and I wasn't right for that role. So I finally got on Another World, and I was telling the story of how many times I got kicked out of the audition. And uh, word got back to the producers of Greece. They're like, this guy got kicked out a bunch of times. And they said, who? Who was it? And they said, well, turn the TV on. Look at him. And they said, that guy? I go, what, what, why do we kick him out? Um, and they said, bring him in, let him audition. So I went in and I auditioned and they're like, yeah, you're perfect. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> so that's how I ended up getting into Greece, um, mm -hmm. on Broadway. And, um, I mean, that was the biggest thrill. I mean, that was just the biggest thrill. I, I just, you know, it's one of those things to start a Broadway musical. It's one of those things you put on your bucket list. Uh, but to have done it at that point, um, it was really a dream. It was just such a dream. And the cast was amazing. Um, everybody was so supportive. And, you know, you have two weeks to come into a show that's already up and running. So you have two weeks to learn it. And I was actually still doing Another World at the same time. Speaking of stepping stones, then you became a celebrity judge at the Miss America pageant. <laughs> where people get to see you on national television big time, Joe. Yeah, well, I mean, that was a short uh, clip. You know, they were mostly looking at girls, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you weren't. Well, yeah, I had, that was my job, Larry. That was my, I, that was, you know, I would be unfaithful to my duties if I, if I wasn't. Um, but that was pretty fun. Uh, and that was actually at the same time I was doing Greece and Another World all at the same time. So wow. they asked me to go down to Atlantic City. I took a night off of Greece and I went down and, and uh, judged the pageant. That was really cool. During your last visit to Cleveland, where I was with you, our dear friend, CNN legal analyst, Avery Friedman, um, contacted a, uh, a businessman, which we, whom we call the godfather. His name was Umberto Fidelli. Yeah. <laughs> and he wanted to meet you and host the three of us for lunch in his beautiful Cleveland office, which I'm sure you remember well. Very, very well. Now, during that time, while we were waiting uh, to sit for lunch, you disclosed a story about your mom's serious illness. Um, and as you know, I was so moved by it. I asked if we could spend a few minutes together off to the side and we prayed together for a quick recovery. And then during our time together last Friday, I inquired how your mom was doing and you shared a moving experience with me. Joe, if you don't mind, would you kindly share that with us? Yeah. Um, yeah, my mom uh, in the last few years of her life um, suffered from dementia um, pretty bad. But, um, and uh, it was rough. It was it was rough uh, for our family. It was rough for my wife. It was rough for my kids. Um, it was really rough for her. And um, so it was tough. It was a very tough decision to go on tour. And so mm -hmm. I almost didn't, you know, see you in Cleveland because I felt pretty bad about leaving um, about leaving her. You know, even though she was with she was at our, in our home with my wife and kids. Uh, but you know, it, 
I'm an only child, so it's it's different to not be there for your mom. Uh, it was tough, and you, Larry, uh, recognized that immediately, and were so you were so sensitive to it and so astute to what those feelings were like. And you actually took me aside and we prayed together. And mm-hmm. I will never, ever forget that moment because I really didn't know you that well at the time. And, mm-hmm. and you just uh, came right in and uh, you were who you are. And, and it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, so yeah, a few weeks after that, um, a month or two after that, I got the call. We were in Chicago that um, all of a sudden things got really bad. And I um, I needed to run home. So I raced to the airport in Chicago and I drove, I, I, uh, I got a flight in within like two hours and I was there an hour early and I was walking to the gate and never in my life had seen uh, a chapel in an airport. I think I've seen them in movies, but I've never actually seen one in all the airports, especially, you know, being on tour, we've been all over the country in the airports and I never saw an airport chapel and, uh, there it was. So I, I ran in and I, I prayed for a half an hour or so. And, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it it was, it it was an odd situation because it turned out that I didn't, I did not make it home, um, before she'd passed that night. Um, she passed about two hours before I I got home. And, um, so it, it still is a, it's an odd situation. I, I ask God all the time, you know, why, why didn't, why couldn't you just keep her around for a couple of hours? I could have been there. And that's what I asked him in that airport. Um, but there was some reason why there was a chapel there and why I went in and, and, um, I don't know, we're going to have a, I think when my number comes, uh, we're going to have a long talk about that. And, and, uh, hopefully I'll understand at that point what he was, uh, what his you know, was. Joe, we all have a date. I, I say this to Avery often. We all have a date with God and we won't be late. Yeah, right. Next weekend, we'll continue our conversation with New York writer, screenwriter, and actor, Joe Barbara. The first question that I will talk to Joe about next week will be how he juggles his professional responsibilities as an actor and husband and a dad and three very active boys. That'll be Saturday morning at 9.30 on 1220 The Word and Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. on 1420 The Answer. Until next time, do all the good you can to everyone you can, every time you can. This is Take Two, and I'm Larry Morrow. Larry Morrow's Take Two is now a podcast series featuring an inspiring library of conversations that Larry had with many broadcast legends from Cleveland and around the world. Subscribe to the podcast and remember to share it with a friend. A new episode releases each week, and it's right here on the Larry from the Heart podcast platform. Thank you for listening.